0: High above the beautiful Buckhead District of Atlanta, this is your personal transgender scientist, Dana Jeanette Bevan. As I told you in my last podcast, I just had breast enhancement surgery. In this podcast, I will tell you about the science and why I did this. One of the first things transgender people usually do when they start transition is to start hormone therapy. And one of the primary objectives for trans women in hormone therapy is to increase breast size. Hormone therapy for trans women means taking sex hormones and other drugs to achieve normal levels of sex hormones in the blood that are found in people with the opposite birth sex. Some people call it hormone replacement therapy, but this is scientifically incorrect. If someone by accident or surgery, such as a hysterectomy, loses the ability to make particular hormones, they sometimes take replacement hormones. But transgender transition involves taking the hormones of the opposite sex, which are not replacements. In the US, HT usually involves taking estradiol valerate progesterone, spironolactone, and finasteride. In Europe and elsewhere, ciproterone is used instead of spironolactone. There is a place at the base of the brain, just above the roof of your mouth. This place has special cells which sense sex hormones. To regulate them, it secretes a substance called gonadotropin-releasing factor. This substance trickles down into the pituitary gland and stimulates gonadotropin release. Gonadotropin flows in the bloodstream to the gonads, or testes in males, to trigger the release of testosterone. Both of these brain structures are very old, very primitive, and frankly somewhat stupid. High levels of any sex hormone can be sensed by this mechanism. This causes release of testosterone to stop in males. One reason for taking estradiol and progesterone is that this mechanism is very stupid. Both estradiol and progesterone tell the brain mechanism to stop secreting testosterone, thus lowering levels to the female range. Incidentally, Anabolic steroids, which are used illegally to build muscle bulk, also block release of testosterone in the same way that estradiol does. One side effect of long-term antibiotic steroid use is that it causes the testes to shrink and testosterone levels to fall. The other reason for taking estradiol and progesterone is that they act directly on body tissue to change the anatomy of many of the sex organs. There are two kinds of sex organs. The primary ones are obviously the external and internal genitalia. But there's a long list of secondary sex organs which include the breasts, skin, and nervous system. They all help the sex process along and are all affected by HT, even the brain. Yes, MRI scans before and after HT show anatomical changes in the brain. Spironolactone and finasteride help HT along by blocking testosterone action and preventing testosterone from being converted to dihydrotestosterone, or DHT, which is the most active form of testosterone. You remember DHT when I tell you it's also responsible for male pattern baldness. You see, even if the gonads stop releasing testosterone, there is still some mopping up to do. Another organ of the body, the adrenal glands, which are on top of your kidneys, can still manufacture and secrete some testosterone. Breast growth for trans women on hormone therapy begins almost immediately. For me, I was scared to death when I started HT. I felt better mentally when the testosterone stopped, but the effect on my breast was hard to ignore. The initial action is for one's nipples to grow larger and consequently to be very sore. The rest of the breast tissue grows a little more gradually. The second reason that trans women take progesterone, not just estrogen, is that breast tissue contains two types of structures. The ductwork or tubes which carry milk to the nipples respond to estrogens, but the milk producing structures only grow if both estrogen and progesterone are present. For natal females, progesterone is present during certain times of the monthly cycle and during pregnancy. During pregnancy, the breasts grow greatly in size in anticipation of breastfeeding. Whether to take progesterone, what type of progesterone, and how much to take, and when to take it, are not really understood scientifically. There are too many variables, and each patient is different. It often involves clinical judgment and experimentation on the part of the provider. Some providers prescribe medroxyprogesterone. Some prescribe another form called prometrium which is believed to be more gentle and natural. Some cycle the progesterone to mimic the normal monthly female cycle. Some believe that progesterone is unnecessary. Better breast growth is generally achieved by younger trans women, leading to the hypothesis that growth hormone or other chemical that declines with age is lacking. Adding to the confusion is that bra cup size is not uniform. Bra design and bra making are an occult art. And cup size cannot be compared from brand to brand, model to model, and even country to country. The folklore is that trans women on HT will achieve one cup less size than their mother. I inherited my mother's bras along with other useless things, and from the tag... She was a 46C. Given the vagarities of cup and design sizing, that's about what I am now after surgery. Her bras were a little pointier than those of today, of course. Then there is the controversy over whether adding progesterone to estrogen increases the risk of breast cancer. Surveys of birth females in menopause indicate an increase only for those who still have their ovaries which does not apply to transgender women. Breast cancer does occur in trans women as it does in natal males, but the rate appears to be the same as natal females before age 50. George Brown at the Veterans Administration did a study of some 3,600 trans women veterans and found only three cases of breast cancer, but all of them were detected too late and were fatal. So the risk of getting cancer is low, but trans women should get regular breast exams and mammograms for early detection. Mandy Deutsch, a physician at UCSF, recommends that trans women should not have a mammogram until after age 50, which is the same as birth females. After that, they should have a standard mammogram after five years of HT and at two year intervals thereafter. I've been on HT for 10 years and have had two mammograms, so I'm due for another one. The ones I had were relatively physically painless, but psychologically they did have some pain. I experienced psychological rejection. Down south here, they are just hearing about us trans girls. Neither of the two major hospitals I went to were prepared for trans women to walk in for a free mammogram which is our right under the ACA. Those are longer war stories, and I'll spare you from them for now. Many transitioning trans women have a decision to make after HT for a couple of years. By then, almost all the growth in breast tissue has occurred that is going to occur. In order to look like other women and fit into feminine clothing, about half choose to get breast implants. This is a risk reward kind of decision. There are some medical risks that accompany breast implants, but the risks have greatly decreased over the past decades. I held out for as long as I could over eight years, but having double-A cup-sized breasts with broad shoulders necessitating a 24 woman-sized dress was just impossible. Most females in that size have larger breasts than I had. So, I shopped around at four places for breast enhancement surgery. I even took a trip to Philadelphia to get a consult from the acknowledged dean of transgender plastic surgery. Here in Atlanta, about four years ago, I was unable to get an appointment at Emory Healthcare. They said that they did not do breast enhancement in trans women because it was different from doing it in natal females, which, of course, is baloney. So it was some trepidation that I called to get an appointment. One of the reasons I called was the encouragement of a trans woman friend who actually worked for Emory Healthcare. We had our surgeries on the same day. After four years, they had finally gotten with the times and seen the need for surgery for trans women. They were a little inexperienced with transgender etiquette, but I sensed that and held my tongue. I got the largest silicone implants that they make, 800 cc's, which were not overly large compared to my size. They make bigger ones which are filled with saline, but 800 was big enough. I had lots of advice from my friends about that size, but the final decision was made by a nurse who saw me with a pre-op mock-up who said, I think she can carry them. The only thing that worried me about the operation was that I was concerned about addictive painkiller drugs, and I told them so up front. But after the operation, I was deemed a non-compliant patient because they refused painkillers. But eventually I must have agreed. I don't remember it because of the anesthesia, and I came home. I do remember rating my pain at a 9 of 10, so they must have made the right decision. I came to a, home to a party of sorts. Two of my friends were there. One was the dedicated person who picked me up in the clinic, who was supposed to watch me for 24 hours. We called it the boob watch. I know I had a good time with the two of them, but I have no memories of the party except the beautiful flowers that I was given. It took about four days for all the drugs to wash out, which put me behind on my writing. The lovely flowers stayed around for a couple of weeks. It's been a month now, and there is some pain at first, but I never took the painkillers that I was prescribed for post-op. I'm still trying on bras. Not too many stores around here stock 48 to 50 C bras. So they were all online orders. They tell me that it'll be another two weeks before some of the swelling goes down and I reach my final size. I did pick out a bra to go with an evening gown. I will attend a gala party when I go to the WPATH science meeting in Buenos Aires in November. I'll do a follow-up podcast sometime on how things are going. Next time, I promise we will get back on track with neuroanatomical and neurophysiological correlates of being transgender. And, oh yes, I may have a surprise for you in the next episode.